Please be seated. Children can be dismissed to the back for Children's Church. You have your Bibles, you can turn with me to James chapter 1. Resisted the urge to just read for, from my notes from the Labor Day retreat yesterday, what Dr. Noble had to say. As Jeff said, I highly encourage you to go back and listen to that. It's wonderful talk. So you'll see some similarities, but not, not too much. I tried not to just borrow wholesale. We're, we're ending our series that we've been going through this summer on wisdom, and largely we've been in the book of Proverbs, but here uh, we see in the book of James, this New Testament book of wisdom, how it is that we get wisdom. We'll be reading James chapter 1, verses 1 through 8. This is the word of God. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve, dis- twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking and nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways." The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's pray that he would teach us this morning. Heavenly Father, we believe in your Holy Spirit. We believe in your Holy Spirit. And we pray that he would be at work in this room this morning. That he would touch our hearts, that he would open our minds, that he would Make our wills receptive to what your word would have us to know. And that he would change us more and more into the image of your son, Jesus, in whose name we pray this. Amen. Well, my daughter, Elsie, she's three years old. Uh, She is like me in that she hates heights, although she does to uh, an extreme extent hate heights. We were at the playground this week, and she climbed up the stairs and got on top, and she noticed that the ground was not completely solid. There's holes in it, and all of a sudden, she's like going like this around the edge of the playground, trying to not fall off the perfectly solid ground. So she she does not enjoy being up high, and yet every night for the past three weeks, as I'm putting her to bed, we, we pray, we sing a little song, give a hug and a kiss, and then she says, Dad, I want you to throw me into bed. <laughs> Same, same kid, terrified of a three-foot-tall uh, platform at the playground, says, Dad, I want you to throw me into bed. <laughs> What's the difference there? What's going on there? What's that? She knows me. She's experienced me playing with her before. She trusts me to throw her <laughs> into bed. We see a similar thing at play here. We desire wisdom. If we want to live rightly, we desire to be wise. 
And sometimes when we go out on our own, we, we, we don't know how to do that. We don't know what that looks like. We're not sure of ourselves. But if we have trust in the Lord, if we know Him, if our relationship with, with Him is, is built on the reality that we belong to Him, then we can get wisdom. The true wisdom comes from a humble trust in a generous God. True wisdom comes from a humble trust in the generous God. That's what we're going to see this morning. We're going to look at the God who gives generously. We're going to see what it means to have faith without doubting. And we're going to see what it means to walk in wisdom steadfastly. But first, we see the God who gives generously. There's this, this promise here, this, this hypothetical situation. If anyone at, lacks wisdom, let him ask God, and it will be given to him. And it will be given to him. This is a pretty astounding promise. We're, we're not really used to promises just straight, no qualifications like this. Ask God for this, it will be given to him. And, and we can be assured of this in part because it rests on God's nature as, as the one who gives generously to all. James almost kind of throws this out as like a side note. God, you know God, the one who gives generously to all. In Matthew chapter 5, God is, or Jesus is describing God as the one who makes his son rise on the evil and the good who sends his reign on the just and the unjust. God gives generously to all people. Generosity is part of God's nature. It's part of who he is. It's one of his core characteristics. We see this in creation. We like to think that that the world has to exist. The world did not have to exist. God did not have to create the world. He didn't have to create it at all, let alone create it as magnificently as he did. That was an act of generosity to create the world. We see him being generous to his people. Even when Adam and Eve sin, he gives them a promise of one who will overcome this curse. We see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob as they stumble and falter and fail. Again and again and again, God blesses them in ways they're not expecting, in ways more magnificent than they could hope. We see through Moses, he gives his people a law to follow. We see him bless Israel, though they turn away from him again and again and again. He gives to them again and again and again. Even in exile, he gives and he blesses. And he maintains his people. And he brings them back to Israel. And he raises up Jerusalem again. And we see in Jesus that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. As a sacrifice for sin to a people who did not ask for it, did not want it, who were openly rebelling against him. And after his son was dead, was raised, and was ascended, he gave his church the Holy Spirit 
the counselor, the helper to help his church. Even today, we see ways in which God gives to us. And we look forward to the promise of the new heavens and the new earth where God is going to give fully and finally for eternity all the blessings that come from His presence. Fire, by its nature, gives off heat. In fact, if we see a fire and it doesn't give off heat, it freaks us out a little bit. Right, we're out at the campfire, and my daughter Elsie, again, three, three years old, she doesn't understand how the world works in general, but she knows fire is hot. <laughs> she sees the campfire, and she's like, I don't want to go near that. That's hot. In a similar way, God is a giver. He gives. It's part of his nature. It's how he has chosen to reveal himself as a giving, generous God. And so this promise that he will give wisdom is built on his nature. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus, as he's talking about praying and making requests of God, he says this about God. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened. And then he gives this wonderful little example. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father Give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Who among you as a father? Dad, can I have a ball? Sure, here's a grenade. Like, we, it's, it's ridiculous. He's like, and you who are evil, who are sinful, understand that that's ridiculous. But God who is good, who is perfect, he will give good gifts to his children, including the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of wisdom. And we see that he does that here. James says that he gives generously to all without reproach. This idea of, of without admonishing or finger wagging or, or reservation, you got to do these things first, or hesitation, like, ah, I'm not so sure, or, well, if you had come to me a lot sooner, we wouldn't be in this mess, would we? He doesn't do any of that. He gives generously to all without reproach. And we can trust his gifts. In verse 17 of the same chapter, we read that every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, this image of God as a heavenly Father who, who sends light from the sky, but he also sends good gifts with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And so we can depend on him moment to moment, day to day, year to year, because he does not change in his promises or in the way that he deals with his people. He is generous now. He is generous tomorrow. He is generous for eternity. And we come to this God because there is nowhere else to go for true wisdom. There is no one else that you can look to to give true wisdom. If we desire true wisdom, which is knowledge, yes, but knowledge lived out, as we've talked about this summer, it's knowledge walked in. 
Well, that requires true knowledge, and the only true knowledge comes from God. All truth is God's truth. As we read in Proverbs chapter 2, that when you seek wisdom, you will understand the fear of the Lord, this recognition of who God is, humbling, coming before Him. You will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding. The implication being there, from His mouth come all knowledge and understanding. Yes, others can have knowledge and can understand, but ultimately it comes from the Lord. John Calvin in his Institutes of Christian Religion, this this magnificent work that is most well known for, he opens the entire tome this way. He says, Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. Our wisdom consists entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and of ourselves. It's coming to God, recognizing who He is, that He is the God, but that He also loves His people, and, and also recognizing ourselves, coming humbly, not saying, hey God, I just need a little help. I've got this mostly, but I just need a little supplement. It's coming to, our, to God and saying, I can't. I need you. I need your wisdom. We see, even in this passage, James, most likely the brother of Christ, who wrote this book, doesn't describe himself as the brother of Christ. He identifies himself as a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is recognizing with humility that his truest relationship with Christ is one of a servant. And he's coming to him humbly. And James has some very hard things, some very authoritative things to say to the church. But he does so recognizing that ultimately Jesus, ultimately God, is the one who gives generously. So we need to ask ourselves, you need to ask yourself, and I need to ask myself, do I really, truly, deep down, believe that God is not only able to provide the wisdom I need, the guidance, the insight to live a faithful life, but that he's willing, that he is loving, that he is caring, and that he is good, and he desires to give me that wisdom. Do we believe that? Because that is what is required if we are to get wisdom. That is faith without doubting. There's this hypothetical question in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, and this is purely a rhetorical thing. James is asking this question, raising this hypothetical, knowing certainly, yes, You lack wisdom. There are people. I lack wisdom. We all lack wisdom. And so he just goes ahead and says, just just in case, just maybe, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. Because no one likes to think of themselves as foolish. No one's like, yeah, I'm pretty foolish. We might say that offhandedly as a joke, but deep down we don't want to think of ourselves as someone who is unintelligent and doesn't do what they should. Although we tend to be experts at spotting this in others. 
I had a friend recently, I was talking about myself. I think I'm pretty self-aware in general. And I was saying, well, you know, I'm like this. And he's like, no, you're not. TJ, you're a contrarian. And my first response was, no, I'm not. (laughs) Right? But this faith without doubting, this is the only qualification that, that, that James gives to this promise. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. This doubting, this is something that we, we struggle to understand. This faith without doubting, it doesn't mean that you never have questions, but it, it's a settled confidence in God's ability. It's a settled assurance in God's willingness to give wisdom to his people. A trust that he will do this. And, and a trust enough to follow through when he does. When he gives us wisdom. When he, when he shows us how we are to live to follow through with that. In Hebrews chapter 11, we read that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. If we don't expect God to bless us, if we don't expect him to even have the ability to do that, why are we coming to him and asking him for blessings? Why are we coming to him and seeking him at all? We must come to God believing that he is God, that he exists and that he is good and does good to his people. To those that seek him, he provides rewards. Not because they seek him so well, but because he is a good, generous God. And so faith without doubting means we have to believe that God will do what he says he will do. That he will fulfill these promises. As part of this faith, this faith without doubting is, is asking in humility. It's coming to God and saying, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure. Please, God, show me. And this is, this is hard for us in general. How often are we really willing to say, I don't know? Especially on matters of substance, right? You ask me who won the 1946 World Series, I don't know and I don't care. But if it comes to something that's close to my heart, close to my life, I'm not willing to say I don't know. I want to be sure. I want people to know that I'm sure. How often are we willing to say, I'm I'm not sure. I I might be wrong. My my perspective, there, there might be some weaknesses there that I don't see. We need to have intellectual humility in general when we engage with others, but especially when we come to God, we need to say, God, I, I don't know. I have some ideas maybe, but I, I don't know for sure. Please show me the way. And we have this kind of faith in all kinds of things, all the time, whether we realize it or not. I'd be willing to bet, there might be a few exceptions, but I'd be willing to bet that most of you here are not experts in furniture construction right? And yet you're all right now putting your faith in somebody who had constructed a chair and and a fairly comfortable one. I know it's not the best, but it's fairly comfortable. But we do this often because chair construction 
And the people who made those chairs and set them out are, are designing them around human preferences and human intentions. What do humans want to sit in? But when we come to God, it requires an even greater humility and faith. Trusting God can, can be hard in this sense because he is designing things around his intentions and what he thinks and knows is best for us. And it's hard to humble ourselves before that and say, okay, God, I, I, I don't, I, I'm willing to trust you, even though I may not like what you have to say. And this humility is the fear of the Lord that Proverbs talks about being the beginning of wisdom. Coming to God and say, not, not I, not my preferences, but yours. What do you have to say to me? Even more so, having this faith without doubting is, is, is based on this, this, this image that he has here. The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. It's not to say that you can never doubt, you can never have questions, you can never be unsure about what God is doing, but it's what are you doing with these questions? Are you letting them buffet you around? Are, they letting, are you letting them throw you into all kinds of different places? Or are you leaning into God and saying, God, I don't understand. I don't know why. I'm not sure what's going on. In, math, in Mark chapter 9, we see this father of an epileptic child come to Jesus and say, if you want to, you can heal. And Jesus says, if I want to. If you believe, I will. And the father of the child cries out, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's that kind of doubting. I'm, I'm not sure, God, but I'm going to come to you with the hope and the assurance to be proven that you are good. The difference here is, is instead of being a wave, Calvin describes this as being a tree, right? Hit by the same winds, blown about, thrown around, maybe bent a little bit, disheveled, but still rooted down in the trust of God. But a wave is just cast and tossed about. It's this image of, of vacillating from one way to another. It's this image of, of doubt that doesn't mean I, I question God directly so much as I question God and so I'm going to go trust in something else. Trusting in God at one point, trusting in ourselves at another, trusting in what my friend said, trusting in what I read on Facebook, trusting in the world's wisdom, what my culture is saying, going back and forth whichever way the wind blows. Often our faith is not in God. Our faith is in the flow. Our faith is wherever is the path of least resistance whether it's externally, what our culture, what our community, what our friends and family are telling us, or internally, what do I desire? What's this path of least resistance? Which way is the wind blowing? And this is what it means to have two masters. We often hear that phrase talked about between God and money, but there are many other masters who want to be your master instead of God. And you can't trust in both God and something else. It's like trying to go to Norfolk riding a bus and an e-scooter. 
right? You're standing in the door of the bus with one foot and the e-scooter on the other going across the bridge like this, right? You can't, you can't do that. You can't trust both to get you there, right? One or the other, probably the bus in that case, but one or the other. Maybe some of you are hedging your bets when it comes to faith in God. I, I'm, I'm going to trust God, but I'm also going to put a little bit of trust over here in something else, just, just, in, just in case he doesn't work out. Maybe you're putting your trust in a relationship, a friendship. Maybe you're putting your trust in your job, putting your trust in your politics. Maybe you're putting your trust in, in the good life, whatever that is. Some of us are hedging our bets, but we cannot do that. That is this double-minded man that he's talking about here. And this doubt can reflect a desire for independence. And we want to trust God because we want what that benefits us, but we want to be able to do what we want, how we want it, when we want it. We want to be independent. And what if God's desires for us are different than my desires? That would not be something I want to follow through with. And so we doubt, and we hedge our bets with God and ourselves. As we heard yesterday, our culture, our society, our world, our own flesh to a certain extent says you belong to yourself. You get to decide what you want to do. The weight of that is something we cannot bear. See, God gives without reproach. God gives without reservation, without hedging his bets. And he wants us to come in the same way, to come to him without reservation, without saying, yeah, I'm going to trust you, God, but also coming to him fully. And sometimes we ask for wisdom, we ask for guidance, we ask to know how we are to live, but we only intend on following through if it's easy. Or if it just so happens to already align with what I wanted to do. My kids have this habit of asking for whatever me or my wife, my wife or I, are eating. Right? Even if it's something like spicy bibimbap or whatever, they're like, can I have some? Like, do you really want some? You, the child that calls Doritos spicy chips, you want sriracha-covered chicken? <laughs> They have no intention of eating it, but they still ask for it, as if somehow it will magically align with their tastes. And we do the same thing. We ask for God to give us guidance. We ask for God to show us how we are to live, but then when push comes to shove, we're like, I don't want to do that. This kind of man is unstable, James says, in all his ways. And notice there that, that language of a path, of a way, of a walking. It's not just a single instance. As you go about your life, if you are doing this kind of doubting, you are unstable. This is the kind of situation that Jesus describes in Matthew chapter 7. He says, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And so God is a generous 
God. And if we come to him and ask in faith, without doubting, without hedging our bets, he promises to give us wisdom, to show us how we are to live. But what does it mean to walk in that wisdom? What does it mean for, for wisdom to be walked out steadfastly? Right, we ask this question, and, and then what? What do we do next? I want to offer two things that you can do. First, you can sit. You can sit quietly, quieting yourself, and wait before God. And maybe you need to sit right now and think, God, I'm struggling with whatever it is. I know there's something in your life that you're wrestling with, that you're trying to understand, that you're trying to, to figure out, how do I handle this? Sit and think, God, you are good. And you are more than capable to direct me, to sustain me through this. And you need to sit and remember ways that God has been faithful to you in the past. You need to meditate on who He is, on His Word, on your relationship to Him, that you, if you are in Christ, as we read earlier, belong body and soul to Jesus Christ. This waiting, this sitting, this looking to God is part of what James is describing here when he talks about steadfastness. It's not, it's not a giving up, just like, eh, whatever happens is going to happen, whatever you want to do, God, but it's a sitting before God and waiting. It's also not, not a, okay, God, I'm going to go do this thing, I'm going to try really hard, and, and we'll just see what happens. It's a coming to God, looking to Him constantly in the midst of life, good times, bad times, whatever, coming to Him and saying, I don't know, but I know you. And I'm looking to you in faith. And it's in times like these that we learn steadfastness. It's in times of trials, in times of difficulty, in times of, of, of unsurety, when we don't know that we learn this strength, this endurance. The faith in this sense is like a, a non-Newtonian fluid. I had to look up the definition because I thought I knew it. I didn't quite know it. All right? A non-Newtonian fluid is not like water where it's the same consistency no matter what. Maybe you've done the ex- experiment where you put cornstarch in water with a few other things and then you push on it and it gets really hard. <laughs> I've seen someone actually fill like a kiddie pool up with a bunch of this stuff and you can't walk Uh, on top of water, all right, none of us are Jesus, but you can run across the top of of this kind of thing. In the same way, our faith, when we are pressed in, is when it shows its true strength. When we are under stress, when we are in difficulty, when we don't know, when we're not sure of ourselves, that is when faith displays its true strength. There's an Arabic proverb that says, sunshine alone creates deserts. Sunshine alone creates deserts. We need clouds. We need rain. Sometimes we need floods if we are to become flourishing branches of the true vine. 
So first, when we ask for wisdom, sit, wait, look to God. But then, go forth and walk in that wisdom. This is what James was talking about in chapter 3 when he talks about good conduct. Or we heard in, in Proverbs chapter 2, every good path, the way of the good, this, this walking out, this living out the truth of God that he has revealed to us. You see, part of faith is faithfulness. And part of faithfulness is faith. They go together. Part of demonstrating our faith is walking it out. Not in our own strength. Not, okay, God, I'm going to try really hard this time and maybe it will work in my own strength. It's walking it out, looking at all times to God. Sometimes faith says, I don't see how, but I'm going to obey. I'm going to be faithful and I'm going to trust you to protect me and deliver me. This isn't like a a fake it till you make it kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. It's, It's a, I'm not sure in my own strength, but I am sure in your strength. And so I am going to obey, trusting in your strength, looking to you, God. But what does this look like? What does it look to walk out wisdom? It looks like the rest of the book of James. It looks like the whole book of Proverbs that we've been talking about all summer. It looks like the entirety of God's revelation as he reveals to his people This is how you are to live. These are the things you are to value. This is the way that you conduct yourself in relation to me and to others. So when we step out in faith, we lean on God and we we look to what he says. When he says, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. And sometimes that cuts against what we want. I want to be very slow to hear, but quick to speak. (laughs) Whether I want to or not, my anger is not slow. Maybe it looks like recognizing and not trying to qualify and and water down James' statement in chapter 127 that religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. To understand that how we treat the least privileged among us says a lot about what we value. Is the wisdom that we pursue, or the things that we hold up as true and most important, how do do they, they measure up against what James describes heavenly wisdom to be like. Pure. Peaceable. Gentle. That's one that we could hear a little bit more. Gentle. Open to reason. Full of mercy and good fruits. Impartial. Sincere. It looks like reading the Beatitudes where Jesus says, blessed is this person and this person and asking myself, am I mourning in the way that he's talking about? Am I meek? Do I hunger and thirst for righteousness? Am I merciful? Am I pure in heart? 
Do I seek to make peace? Am I willing to be persecuted and reviled for the sake of Christ? And this too is part of steadfastness, this this walking in the way, this whole of life as we take what we know that God has revealed to us and we live it out. Because you can't be steadfast in a single moment. You can't persevere once. Perseverance is a a continuous, ongoing thing that requires time and, and, and requires a lot of it. It's like running a marathon. You can say, I'm running a marathon. Yeah, I'm running a marathon right now. I ran three miles a couple months ago. I'm going to run 23 in the next you know, few months. It's, I'm not running a marathon. I stopped. <laughs> if we're going to be steadfast, we have to keep going. It's an ongoing thing. Not, again, in our own power, but looking to the God who is generous and gives generously to all. And so James can say, that we should count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds because the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. As we walk this out, our faith is being tested and we are growing stronger. We are becoming more and more steadfast. Again, not in our own strength, but because we belong body and soul to Jesus Christ. And not a hair can fall from our heads without his knowledge I want to close the same way that the, the teacher in Ecclesiastes closes his book. Ecclesiastes is this book that's sort of the height of human wisdom. If I just go through my own life and look out, what do I see being true? Which is why he says over and over again, vanity of vanities, all is vanity. But at the end, he comes to recognize this says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. This is the end of the matter. This is it. To fear God, to look to Him, to recognize who He is, to humble yourself before Him, to ask for wisdom and faith, but then to keep His commandments and walk it out always looking to him, always fearing him, but trusting who he is, that he will give us what we need, that he will sustain us because we are his. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the truth that we do belong body and soul to our Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself, who bled on the cross as a sacrifice to pay for our sin. Father, we pray that that truth, that we are not our own, but that we belong to you, would help us to reckon with this world that speaks a much different message, that says you get to decide, that your wisdom is whatever you think it is. Father, help us to look instead to you, even when it's uncomfortable, even when you ask of us things that we don't want to hear. Help us to trust in you, to have faith without doubting, and to walk steadfastly out the wisdom that you give us. Do what we ask, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.